We, my husband and I, and I met um, on the BYU, the Brigham Young University track and field team uh, many years ago. How, how, how long ago was that? Almost 17 and a half years. Oh, 17 years ago. So we had um, thrown shot put discus and hammer in the past. And when we finished track and field, we kind of hung up that part of our lives knowing that we would never go to the park and throw discuses back and forth to each other or throw hammers next to the playground. It just wasn't something that you naturally do. Because that would be horrifying. <laughs> it, it could make other parents but, nervous, uh, right? we had some... Yeah, probably not the best. So we had some friends stop us in church, and they said, Hey, have you guys ever heard of heavy athletics or Scottish games? And we had no idea what they were talking about. I mean, we, like most people, we were familiar with the caber toss, um, which is the big log that you flip over. But other than that, we knew nothing. So um, that night we went on the computer, researched it, and that's when we found Utah Heavy Athletics. Um, and we signed up for our first games, which I think was just a couple weeks away, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty close. Oh, so you dove so right into we, it then. Yeah, we just thought, you know what, the best way to do it is just to sign up. And so we just showed up. We didn't have a kilt, any background. I think we had watched some YouTube videos. Yeah, mostly bad ones. And, and which which games was it that you were signing up for? Was it the Utah games or um, or was it the pacing games? Or where, where yeah. were you? What happens is there are uh, – this was right after, um, right after the Utah Scottish Festival that year are what we call backyard games or little games that are mostly just for the athletes. Gotcha. And then there are games that go along with the Scottish Festival that are really well known. This was just one of those backyard games. We didn't have a kilt yet, which you have to have a kilt for the bigger games. And we just went just to go see what happened. It was on a Saturday in a park somewhere in Salt Lake County. Can't remember exactly yeah. where. And we showed up to go throw. Awesome. Yeah, so that was our first experience with the games, and uh, we did the whole nine events, which that's what they require, and by the end of the day, we looked at each other and went, this is cool. We want to keep doing this. That is cool. Now, I, I wasn't aware, so if, does is that the case at all games, that if a competitor wants to do, like, if they want to do caber, they also have to do weight over bar and all, all, everything else that's offered? They actually have to do all of the events offered, and you're scored on every event. So it's kind of like a decathlon that's all about throwing. Interesting. But, for example, there are, there are nine events, and it's a golf scoring. So if I were to take first in all nine events, I'd have a score of nine, and that would beat everyone else on the field. So if you don't do an event, you automatically take last, and you probably just lost the, the day. I see. Yeah, so it's not like track and field where you would choose two or three events that you're really great at. Everyone does all nine events. And that's why um, the throwing days are so long because you usually start around nine o'clock and then don't finish till about four in the afternoon. But it definitely levels seven. the playing field. So how long did it take before you got some kilts? <laughs> After that day, uh, that one Saturday, we went and bought some kilts. When ordered some kilts because we didn't, you don't just walk down to the store. Yeah, we ordered some kilts only. and signed up for our next games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that'd be nice. Cool. So, so we'll, yeah, that one happened pretty quickly because it was a lot of fun. So after you, so you dove right into it, went right to a, a, a games. Did you do any? Did you step in and throw anything that day, or were you mostly watching? Oh no, we threw everything that day. Yeah, Chelsea you got right won, into it. No, no. You took second that day? I think I took second and... Overall? I took first in the novice class. Yeah. Really? In the women. Well, it, well, and that's perhaps the next question. When you show up to a game your first time, you don't have to compete against everybody on the field. There are different classes that allow you to go against other novice throwers, for example. I see. Um, except in one case, usually men are not competing with women. It's different classes with different levels of skill and different size even. Yeah, so you only compete with people who are at your level, which is really nice. Um, so usually in a larger games, there would be a novice class, which could be your first, second, third games where you're still figuring everything out. And you would only compete against the other novice throwers. Then, as you improve and get better, you would move to a C class. 
then a B class, and then ultimately an A class, um, depending on how many years you've thrown, how good you are, how well you're doing, which makes it really nice because it, it continues to support people who may not be as athletically inclined or maybe new to the sport. Yeah, that's, I'm finding this very attractive. I hadn't really realized, I hadn't really thought of it before, but I know that um, for a lot of, so like I'm coming to this from the, the competitive pipe band side of the games. Mm-hmm. And I know that for a lot of pipers and drummers, pipe band is attractive because after high school and college, what else can you do if you've been in marching band or in a drum line, et cetera? Well, pipe band is a great option. So it's, yes. it's, I hadn't even thought of this aspect for the heavy athletics where you two were coming from track and field and this was a way to kind of continue. Yeah. And obviously now that we have been throwing for six probably years, six or seven. seven years, between six and seven years, we both compete in the A class and uh, we do well in those classes, but it's still fun at every games to see the new novice throwers and to support the C and the B throwers. Um, and that's what I think keeps the sport fresh and new because we continually have new competitors and new blood out on the field. Mm. Now I've, I've committed a classic podcast host error here. I, we, I was too excited to start talking to you. I should let you introduce yourselves. Do you want to take turns <laughs> just saying who you are and maybe where you're from? Yeah. Ladies first. Okay. Um, my name's Chelsea and we're the Forsyths and we, um, I'm originally from Southern California. And like I said, uh, we met at BYU and we raised our family for 10 years in South Jordan outside of Salt Lake City. Um, then we decided we wanted um, more space and more land and we moved to a small town called Richfield, Utah, which is right in the middle of Utah. And we built a house on an acre, loved it there. And then actually, uh, I guess we wanted more freedom and more, more space. <laughs> more space. <laughs> and just in the past uh, th- two to three months, we sold that house that we built and bought a trailer. And we are now traveling the country with our six kids in a fifth wheel and so right now we are currently on the coast of texas which is supposed to be warm and it's not <laughs> disappointing <laughs> at this day it's cold which and so so for the listener if if with the kind of any delay or sort of audio discrepancies that you might hear this is this is the reason why we're speaking to you but on location as it were yeah pretty yes. much we we don't, we don't have any wired internet or uh, we're running off a generator um, actually on the beaches of the Gulf of Mexico. Well, I'm jealous. <laughs> well, and for me, mine's going to be a lot shorter because she already covered most of it. My name is John. I was actually born and raised in Utah and was living in Richfield when I graduated from high school and then went off to college and found her. And really that's other than the fact that I'm a great big guy, which kind of helps with Highland Games, that's the most interesting thing about me is I'm married to her. <laughs> so in the, in the, since you started doing Highland Games, have you ever taken a year off? Have you ever not gone? Um, no. <laughs> Except for me. Well, I've t- had two babies. <laughs> two babies in, yeah. in the meantime? Okay. That seems yeah, like a reasonable excuse. Yeah, it's a pretty good excuse. Yeah. Although I say that, and I have both competed um, probably at six, se- months. six to seven months pregnant and six weeks after I've had a baby. And, and what, do you, what do you say, Chelsea? Does that make it better or worse? Are you, does it give you a little extra or does it pull you back? Um, it's definitely uh, harder working with that counterbalance of a big belly, but they couldn't keep me away. I love it. I love the sport too much. Very and cool. she still competed well in both those instances, by the way. She was ticked <laughs> off. She lost. <laughs> so in those years, have you, I mean, you're competing at the A level now. Have you started um stepping in to help with any of the, uh, you know, administrative organizational stuff as well? Um, both of us have, there's a, a board, the Utah Heavy Athletics Board, uh, that has a president, has a, you know, all the different things. Both of us have helped out a little bit, um, not in a big way because 
we just haven't we've still been throwing a lot for and example we have six children and we have six kids <laughs> we're slackers that way i'm for example i'm still one of the chief judges there's two chief judges in that, in that board and i'm going to be gone for the entire year so mostly i help you know arrange for judges and help if there's a rule dispute mostly because of experience and because i'm opinionated and so i tell people what i think anyway they might as well make it official <laughs> also we always uh try and show up the day before or early to help set up and then definitely stay after to help take down and that's kind of the great thing about this community is we all understand no one's making money doing this so uh, we're all here to support and do what needs to be done uh, to get the games to happen yeah so on that note i'm curious so like where, where i'm coming from the pipe band world where we've got the western united states pipe band association and the other associations um it, what like what kind of governing bodies are there in this world of of heavy athletics? Is it largely you know in Utah you compete within the Utah sort of chapter, or is there like you once you're a champ in Utah do you go on to a national games once a year or like how how does that kind of play out? There isn't one governing body which in some ways is nice and other ways is not. Um, there does tend to be different chapters. For example, ours the U, you know UHA runs games in Utah. They've talked about or helped with games in Idaho before. There are other associations like that through the country that will run games just because it's hard to have all the equipment you need to put on an entire games by yourself. Sure. And so you'll have a festival that reaches out to you know UHA, for example, and says, hey, can you come and run a games? And so there's that. Um, there are a couple of big championships, mostly because they started saying it was a championships and then everyone said, okay, that, that'll be that. There's one up in Enumclaw, Washington, which is like a national championship. And then there's actually two different world championships that are put on every year for the amateurs. And that's one is in Minnesota, right out of St. Paul. And then there's another one that's called the IHGF championships that actually goes over to Europe and competes over there. Both of those were canceled this last year because of stupid COVID. Um, mm -hmm. But there are those which are really just organizations stepping up to say, let's have a big championships, and then they organize it and invite the top throwers or who are supposed to be the top throwers, and they put on a competition with all of them. I see. And as well as what John has said, there is also a national um, database, uh, which is called NASGA, N-A-S-G-A, North American Scottish, Scottish Games Association. Games Association. I think that's what, how, what it is. But what happens is after you compete at a games, whoever was running the games will enter all of your throws into this national database, uh, the distances of your throws. And then you are ranked nationally um, by how good you are. Mm. So you can see how you compare with other throwers all over the country. And that's usually what they look at uh, when you're trying to qualify to attend to compete at these higher level games. I see. I see. So I'm, I'm assuming that the heavy athletics is similar to piping in that it's, it's mostly for pretty much everybody. It is a, a passionate hobby that is also really expensive in both time and money. You know, like <laughs> people are only doing it if they love it. Um, but are, are there any instances of throwers having any kind of sponsorship? Some of the top throwers? There is actually a pro division, more on the men's side, on the women's side, they call it the elite division. There are some people who are actually able to make money off of it, although not much more than a part-time job from what we hear. Yeah. Um, but, for example, if you are an amateur and you're hitting really, really good marks consistently, then there are games that have pros come to compete, and you can contact them and have them invite you as a pro to come and throw. That's really cool. It's something that as soon as you start doing that, then you really can't compete as an amateur anymore. And so it limits oh, sure, how yeah. much you can. Do. So if you're not really good, if you do that, you can basically end your career because you can't go to the, the games around you anymore. But there are pros and the men men's side, the women's side. It's just there are only a couple of games that really do that. And so I don't think you have to stop competing as an amateur on the women's side. You happen to go to those games and they'll they'll pay you if you win. I see. And the nice thing about Scottish games is, yes, you have to buy a kilt. Uh, yes, you have to pay the entry fee, which is usually, I don't know, 20 to $30. Mm. Um, 
But as far as actually having to have all the equipment, people are very good about being resourceful and using what they have to try and simulate uh, what a, a, a weight or a, picking up stones out of a river, um, welding different weight sets together on a chain with a handle. Um, you don't necessarily have to go into debt to uh, be a thrower. It's, it's not that expensive um, when you're starting out. You know, as you get better, you know, you may want to purchase certain pieces of equipment to practice with in your backyard, um, but that's definitely not necessary as it would be, you know, to buy a bagpipe. <laughs> right, I got you. You need to have a bagpipe to be a piper, right? Right, yeah. You and... don't necessarily, you can just go find stones and weights and kind of, you know, fiddle yeah. your way around to become a thrower. Yeah. Yeah, so so I've been I've been playing pipes for um oh like 15 or 16 years. Um I started when I was a teenager and ever since I was a teenager I've always been really interested in the athletics, you know, I pretty rarely could go and watch them cuz I usually was getting ready for a, either a solo or a band competition, but you know, watching them through the trees, yeah. you know, from the other side of the park. Mm -hmm. And I've always been interested in getting into it. I'm not a particularly big guy, you know, I need to compete in feather featherweight or or, or the 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 similar. <laughs> lightweight yeah, the lightweight division. But I did I did recently join a uh, the a, a Utah Heavy Athletics like Facebook group just to kind of see mm -hmm. like how do we get into this? How do people train and stuff? Mm -hmm. And honestly, the one that still blows my mind I don't understand is how on earth does a person learn or practice to toss a caber? <laughs> um, the answer to that one is you on that Facebook page. There's a guy named Joel Sim. Joel Sims. Mm -hmm. Um basically anybody who's doing Highland games, I have yet to see an exception to this is willing to have other people come and practice with them and learn about the sport. And you, there are groups, especially in Northern Utah that are really big into that. Uh, Joel has practices all the time in the spring and summer. Uh, Tyler Anderson also runs them. Joel is the king of caber. He's really good at them. Uh, frustratingly, because I still compete against him on occasion. <laughs> yeah. And he generally teaches everybody in Utah how to throw cabers. But there's no way to really train for it except just to go out and try it. Yeah, so what, does he have a connection with, like, the, the telephone company and he gets down <laughs> poles or something? Uh, actually, they're not telephone poles. Usually they are tree trunks. They look that big sometimes, but actually the weight of them is not the problem. It's the length of it that's the problem. Mm -hmm. um, any of the, the A's that are out there and most of everybody, the weight of those cabers wouldn't shock you. I mean, to pick up a hundred pounds something for most of these guys is not a big deal. But when it's a hundred pounds and it's 18 feet long yeah. and you're holding it mid chest sticking up over your head and you're supposed to, you know, manage that and run with it and then throw it that's difficult and so that is it's arguably the most dangerous of the events and it's definitely one with a really really steep learning curve yeah so what about the other events will you talk to me a little bit about maybe tell me about what you have done in the past to sort of train and practice and maybe also what that looks like for you right now while you're traveling i'd imagine you probably can't do quite everything you usually do um no usually what you do especially in utah because it's cold like it is here apparently <laughs> yeah. um usually in the off season which is you know between october november until about april of every year you just hit the weights uh usually power lifting um with some olympic lifting tossed in there so you do lots of squats lots of deadlift clean snatches overhead presses and so i would spend i mean months um just lifting as heavy as i could get using different programs throughout the winter and then you come out the other side of the winter, hopefully stronger than you went in, hopefully not injured, and then you start throwing again in the spring. Mm. Chelsea, on the other hand, has never really had to do that because she's freaky strong and athletic. And Just so she mostly all the did, time, huh? <laughs> I guess. She is, yeah. And so she mostly did like CrossFit. She's a CrossFit queen. And so she would do that and could still do everything she needs to do, which is amazing because that's not how I can do it. Out here on the road, we brought some weights with us, and we brought a number of the implements with us. Um, and so we just work out every t chance we can get. We do drills or throw whenever we can get there. Kind of depends on where we're staying. Um, because if sure. we're in an, like an RV park, 
they don't want us throwing our hammers around. <laughs> yeah, no one does. Course, yeah. <laughs> uh, we couldn't bring our caber. Don't have heavy enough weights to really do heavy lifting. And so this will definitely be a year where I'm going to have to depend on skill, which for me is really scary. For Chelsea, is just fine because I won't. We won't have that big off season where we can lift really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. But we get the question, or we encounter a lot of people who want to um, practice, you know, all of these events before they actually sign up for a games. And, you know, can you show me all the events? Can I try them all? You know, I'm nervous. Like what? And usually what we tell them is just sign up as an as a, a newbie, as a novice for your first games and show up. You do not have to have any prior experience. Um, and we will walk you through all nine events. And I know that's nerve wracking for people because who wants to sign up for their first competition, never having to have done any of the events. Yeah. I mean, there's there's usually at least a small crowd watching. (laughs) Exactly. But people do it all the time and it really is the best way to get your feet wet. Um, because you don't have any implements to throw. I mean, other than maybe a stone in your backyard, Um, so we always tell people just sign up as a novice for your first event. We will walk you through all nine events. It is not awkward to have to show up to your first competition, never having touched an implement before. And I know that's nerve wracking and hard for people, but it, people do it all the time. And that's how we did it. Yeah. That's how we did it. And you know what? You'll go through all nine events and then you'll either love it and start purchasing implements and start finding people to practice with, or you'll go, you know what? This is not for me. (laughs) And then you don't have to have bought of anything, which usually doesn't happen. Most novices that come out, you continually see over and over again as they move up in the ranks. Um, but the best way to get started is to just find a games that's close to you, sign up as a novice and show up without a kilt. It's fine. Everyone does it. So I, I don't think I'm, I'm the only one who would like, I think I'm probably speaking a thought that's in the back of at least some people's mind. Um, the people who do heavy athletics, uh, might be at least physically a bit intimidating, you know? <laughs> and so to imagine that, that you're a group of, of friendly, happy folks who are just excited to bring bring novices in under your wing and invite any, everyone, I'm not saying it's surprising. I'm sure you're wonderful people, you know, but it's a little <laughs> bit like, oh, really? You know, like, I, I don't have to be scared of these people. <laughs> well, I can address that one. And that's, there really is a, go- a good group of people. We've done competitions all the way across the across the country. And because we're really big people, if you have somebody who's just a jerk, <laughs> we're probably going to drum them out of the sport. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and so that's not a big problem. I'm I'm probably the biggest person on any given field. Mm-hmm. Uh, being six six. Being and six six and way hunt, well, more than three hundred pounds. <laughs> that um, three hundred is the uh, the goal, right? Three hundred ish. But really, it's it's not about that. If you got somebody who's actually a jerk. I don't see that very often, and those we don't really let stay around very much. But instead, we're all there to help. We've all been there very recently. Everyone, I mean, the best of them, the best throwers out there are the ones trying to help everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so that's all the time. Plus, you don't have to come out and be my size to throw. There is, we mentioned a lightweight division, but it actually does exist. That's you can't be over 200 pounds to be in the lightweight division and 150 for women, 150 Mm -hmm. for women. And so the smaller people still not small, but smaller people are competing. There's also classes for if you're over 40, it's called the master's class. Heck, there's classes it's nice for over fifty or sixty. Call it that, huh? You know, instead <clears throat> yes. of saying the, yes, it's not the it's old, not the old the geezers old class. It's no, the masters no. class. That's nice. It's the masters. <laughs> hey, I'll I'll be in the masters class come July, and I will not be small. Yeah. <laughs> not going to call me old, but yeah. So you see all shapes, sizes, weights, ages that out games. on a Highland Games field. Uh, so you never have to think, oh well, I don't bench this much, or I'm not this height, or I don't have experience. There is a group for you, and you know what? You can compete in the C class your whole career and be fine with that, and never move up, and that is fine. And people enjoy that, and um, they they relish in that, and that's fine. So don't think that you're ever not good enough or not enough because there is a class for you and we welcome everybody. 
Yeah, well, it has stood out to me as like, well, this could be a, a possible, like, you know, if nothing else, just like a way to stay healthy. Kind of just think to yourself, well, yeah. you know, I'll do a games next summer. So I'll, you know, work out during the winter to, to mm-hmm. be ready for that. Well, and we always talk about that when you leave high school or college, if you if you do stuff in college, it's kind of like what you were saying about uh, being in the in the yeah, piper. piper. No, <laughs> right, if you're in the marching band or the drumline or something, band. you want to keep doing yeah, something. Yeah, you want to keep doing stuff. And a lot of us are in it because we enjoy competition. We don't have to win all the time, but we still like to go and compete. And it's a reason to stay healthy. It's a reason to keep up and keep doing things. I remember when we actually found Scottish Games, we were doing long-distance running. Mm-hmm. And we had actually signed up for and were training for a half marathon when we found Scottish Games. And because we'd already signed up for it, we kept doing the running while we're working on you know our Scottish Games career starting. Mm-hmm. And so, heck, the last games of that year, we actually went and did a half marathon and then, sh- and then went to the games. We were half an hour late. Oh, man. <laughs> and so we were trying to make it as you you really did marathoners yeah we were trying to find something that we could still compete still be healthy you know have some type of motivation and so yeah it's a great reason for people just to have something to do on a saturday have a goal to strive for you do not have to win to to have fun doing this and you can just have fun being on the field. Are, and are these heavy athletics, at least locally, is it 100% individual athletes? Or are there ever, is there any something like a track and field team where there would be a team score at the end of the day? There are some team events. I don't think there are any in Utah. Uh, there are times when there's a team type event. They're not very popular, <laughs> truth be told. Mm-hmm. Because you don't really need that either. Uh, anytime you're out on the field with Highland Gamers, you compete when you're actually throwing the rest of the time you're sitting there people are swapping you know tips saying hey you notice your foot didn't quite come around that way try this next time and hey i've been trying this have you tried that and it's you it's like you're sitting around joking with your teammates but you happen to be competing at the same time mm-hmm. and hey you got a pr that's personal oh, record yeah. like that's awesome can you take a video of me from this angle like we're all there to be each other's coaches so, yeah, we don't really need the team aspect. It's more just we have this huge support group where everyone wants everyone else to improve and do better than they did last time. I see. Oh, it's very cool. So do there are there ever any, uh, you know, you know, albeit friendly, but still sort of rivalries that develop, you know, that you're like, oh, let's watch these two this year. You know, let's see what they do this year. Yes. And <laughs> there would be the how, best time. And how many of them are you two involved in? <laughs> well, I think there's I definitely know. since John and I had the background when we started. I'm sure there's you know, oh the Forsyths are here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because not to toot our own horns, but especially in Utah, we pretty much always walk away with a sword or a shield or a, which are the trophies. <laughs> and that's that's honestly that's one of the coolest things that really has always attracted me to it. I'm like, you know, as a pipe band, I've got like a plate before, and like, well. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's something, but I'd much rather get a sword. <laughs> oh, you should have seen our garage. We, uh, we've it had, was beautiful. We've had everything from double-bladed axes to, uh, I, you say them all, um, I don't even remember. Yeah, multiple claymores, a whole bunch of swords, axes, flails, daggers. Spears. Spears. Uh, helmets uh, with helmets. spikes on them. Which oh. is always fun because Chelsea doesn't care at all about that stuff. <laughs> oh, really? I just want a gift card. But then, like, <laughs> I'll like she'll take first and I'll take second, and I go home with two two new weapons. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She just uh, handed it right to you in the car. Our kids love it. <laughs> yeah, kids love it. So that part is fun. There's a lot of rivalries, but again, I can remember one time there were two or three throwers in Utah that I was competing really closely with that year, and it was like the second or third year. And we were really, really close, and it was really good competition. And I can remember sending, like, taking a picture of myself, like at a gym, not of myself, but of the gym, and posting it and saying, "Hey, for you three, I outworked you today." And just, you know, put that on. That was my social media post. Uh-huh. And they were all working out about the same time I was, and it was like, "Ha ha, you couldn't outwork me." That kind of stuff. And so there's lots of rivalries, not any that get really vicious or anything like that. It just pushes you to get better. Sure, yeah. And that was a lot of fun. That Those years were some of my favorites. So when we're talking about the events themselves, let's say we have somebody showing up for the first time ever. I think it's pretty clear that the caber toss is probably the biggest learning curve. 
is there any one event that in your experience is probably like the like sort of the most natural for just about anybody to just kind of pick up and go no um <laughs> i would say probably a wait over bar seems to be as long as you um wait over bar is when you are competing for how high you can throw a weight and so you get three attempts at each height over your head. So you swing the weight through your legs and up and over your head over the bar. And it seems like a lot of people, since you don't have to move your feet, mm -hmm. uh, you're not traveling anywhere. You're really just swinging a weight through your legs and up over your head, kind of oh. like a kettlebell. And would. then trying to make sure it doesn't land on you, right? That's kind yeah, of the, as, the key I was gonna part say, of the as end. As long <laughs> as you keep your eye on the weight yeah. as it goes up and over your head, that's the hardest part of it. So people seem to pick that up pretty quick, yeah. pretty Especially naturally. Especially if you're, because we get a lot of you know strong men and powerlifters and stuff like that. Especially if you're a little bit on the stronger side. Uh, beginners tend to do fairly well with that one. Mm. Yeah. So that's a good confidence boost maybe for a, for yeah. a beginner. To... As yeah. long as they survive. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah as long as it doesn't well. hit them, right? <laughs> yeah, I think the other one uh, would probably be um, like both bar? the stones. Yeah. Um, there's two different stones that you throw. That One is light and one is heavy. Uh, the light one we call open stone, and you're able to do some type of uh, movement as extra oomph behind it so it would look like someone was throwing a shot put some people yeah. spin some people glide some people shuffle and as long as you aren't throwing it like you would a baseball and mm -hmm. you're more pushing it like a shot put um that seems to people seem to pick that one up pretty well and then the heavy stone is called the braemar stone and that one you pretty it's much even just uh, it's a, even simpler you just stand with your two feet bend over turn and push the stone as far as you can. Mm. So those ones are a little more uh, simple just because there isn't a lot of uh, feet movement. Uh, um, you're really just working with a stone and a weight. Uh, so mm. those would, would probably be the easier. Well, everything else gets more complicated. So Yeah. I, I, I've had the experience, at, you know, having gone to, to games my whole, well, pretty much most of my life, um, the, it, it seems to me that like you would think the caber toss is probably the most popular for spectators, but it's that that weight over bar. Um, a lot of competitors hike their kilt up, you know, on, on <laughs> over one thigh, and that gets a lot of cheers, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, I think yeah. the, I think the kilt hike gets more cheers than actually throwing the weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've we've also seen men, you know, take their shirts off in their kilts, and, and that go. always gets a, a few <laughs> cheers, too. But I think um, spectators definitely like watching the, the two height events. So that we've talked about weight over bar, or we can call it WOB. Um, but the other one is sheaf. That's um, with S -H -E -A -F, the pitchfork, right? That's with the pitchfork, right? yeah. yeah. I like that and one. I yeah, I think people like watching both of those events because people can immediately see whether it was successful uh, yeah. so you can see whether it went over the bar or not or if it hit into the bar or not where when you're watching distance events you're like well was that further than the last one right. or what place are they in it could be a world record and it looked a lot like all the other throws <laughs> yeah. from yeah. the stands and so those yeah. are a little bit harder yeah so i think definitely from what we've seen the spectators love watching caber of course because that's like the ultimate let's run with a tree log and flip it over right and and the two height events uh seem to be the highlights of the games but between the weight over bar and the sheaf toss um which i, I i'd imagine the sheaf that's probably itself like the that bundle is probably lighter than the weight itself but which of these do you think is more accident prone <laughs> actually i don't see Unless there's a failure in the equipment, you don't see very many accidents with the wob, mm. with uh, the weight over bar. Yeah. Part of it is because just without, I mean, for men, that's a 56-pound weight that you're trying to throw up over your head. You're watching that. And yeah, people sure. actually, you know, run away from it more than they need to it in most cases. It looks a lot scarier watching yeah. it than doing it. Oh, yeah. Like, when you're I, watching I it, you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah, that's going to fall down right on his head. Yeah. It's like we can see it and we can step out of the way if it's yeah. coming down directly on us. And it doesn't go very far. I mean, it's like right there. So that's not usually a problem. Sheaf, on the other hand, has has its problems because that bag, uh, the bag for men for the A's is about 20 pounds. For women, it's between 12 and 10, depending on what the games wants to do. 
But that goes flying off every direction. Uh, you have people like me who throw it as if they're throwing it for distance too. And so <laughs> yeah, I throw it distance. 50 feet behind the standard also. Yeah. And you have people on occasion who do stab themselves with their sharpened pitchforks right, and have to go to the hospital. The and... <laughs> yeah, we've seen a few That's pitchforks a few go times. through knees, so. Which shouldn't oh, happen. It's always an aberration. Something weird happened. But still, it's, hap- it's like, happened. We could probably share at least five or... Uh, yeah, it's, it's happened. <laughs> yeah, we, we know people that... that it, we have never done it ourselves. We haven't. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Sheaf, hands down, is scarier for the athletes and for the crowd than wob is even Mm. though you'd think wob would be but i people don't hit themselves with wob very often chief bad thing happen yeah between the weight and (laughs) the pointy stick yes yeah so and then and we've got this what's the caber toss and what else the hammer throw you have the hammer throws which are kind of like if you had a really heavy sledgehammer (laughs) And you threw it over your left shoulder. And is that what people practice with? They just get a sledgehammer and just uh, go no. throw that around? You actually practice with, to make it a little bit easier, I think on us, the handles we use are PVC. There's electrical conduit. Okay. Yeah, I've seen it. So they, that they, they often kind of, you know, they vibrate when they hit the ground and stuff. Kind of. Yeah, wobble. they also break, which is why oh, we use PVC. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's a, for the men, it's, you have heavy hammer and light hammer. Heavy hammer is 22 pounds at the end of that handle and the light hammer is 16 pounds mm. for women. The heavy hammer is 16 and the light is. Wow. And so it's, it's because the hammer requires the most weird stuff to make it work. Well, we, first of all, we wear boots with blades sticking out of the end. Yeah. Of what is up? It's that there. It's like you got um, sword shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> And I've got a funny story about that, but well, tell it those to me. are to, I will. First, I'll tell you what they're for. All right. Um, you're standing with your back to where you're going to be throwing. So you're literally throwing it up over your left shoulder if you're right-handed, or at least in that direction. The blades, you actually stick them down underneath the grass, like into the turf, so that you can lean backwards without falling over. Yeah, I watch these guys do it, and sometimes they lean so far, I'm like, man, that's got to either feel oh, yeah. really good or really bad. Because <laughs> if you can imagine that centripetal force of you swinging that hammer around your head two yeah. or three times before you release it, your feet are going to just flail yeah. right out from under you. Yeah. So, so that's why we have the blades to kind of stick our feet to the ground so that we can swing that hammer around without falling on our bums, which mm. sometimes it still it happens. happens. <laughs> and it's funny to watch us because you can't walk normally with those on. No, yeah. And so we're still walking out to the field to pick up hammers and walking around talking to people. And so we all walk really funny, and on occasion we fall down because we forget that we're wearing those and we <laughs> dig into the, the turf and we almost fall down. <laughs> that, and I'll tell you the story, but we also have to have adhesive on our hands Otherwise, oh, yeah. you won't be able to hold on stuff. to the handles. Yeah. Looks like oh, yeah. honey out there. Yeah. It's worse than honey. It takes oh, a lot boy. to get it off again. But that's so we can actually hold on because the force is so great when that starts to move and you've got like 22 pounds at the end of this you know, 50-inch long handle that you're trying to accelerate, you wouldn't be able to hold on to it, or at least yeah. not very well. And so we put sticky stuff on our hands to hold on to the handle, blades to hook us into the ground, and it goes the farthest of any of uh, any of the uh, the implements. Yeah. So it's it's huge. I've yeah. thrown that into the crowd before, and that was fun. Oh boy! <laughs> uh, boy. So no, I missed. No one got hurt. But uh, <laughs> anyway, the story: the first time I ever put these blades onto my boots, for some reason I already pre-drilled the holes and everything like that, but I still need to fasten them on. I was getting an oil change. And so I sat in a Jiffy Lube waiting room, filled with people, sat there and attached these blades on the on the bottoms uh, of these hiking were, boots. Were people scooting away from you? Just like giving no, you sideways that looks? was the funny part. <laughs> six foot six, 300 pound guy attaching blades to <laughs> right. boots. Nobody made eye contact. Nobody said a thing. Yeah, well, I guess that's they were the just, other defense mechanism, right? Yeah. Whatever you're doing over there, you just keep doing it. We don't care. Yeah, don't, you carry but, on, don't sir. Don't ask questions and pretend nothing. that it's not happening. It's just, this is, this is funny about human human nature. No, whatever the giant's doing with his boots, just leave <laughs> just him alone. Just let him do it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He's putting swords on his shoes. Yes, yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so those those uh, you strap them to some boots. Are they uh, are these blades like 
what like where do you get these what are these are they specialty for the sport or is it like hedge clippers broken in half they're they're special they're special for the sport but they're not that special (laughs) and they aren't necessary it's just as you improve and get that hammer going faster Mm-hmm. It's they kind of the next step. So. Gotcha. Um, but I would say only a few of the B class and most of the A class have them. But so, it's not so your necessarily... novice thrower isn't going to have to show up. Your with novice thrower is not going. No. no, no, no. That's when you start to want to, you know, go to some championships or win games. Then you start into that. Mm. Um, but not everybody has. And there's yeah, there's definitely you can find people who sell them and make them and will ship yeah. them to you. They're they're pretty easy to find. They're gotcha. usually lawnmower blades that are just reshaped and gotcha. Interesting. And they're not that sharp. They dig into the dirt for heaven's sake, so. Yeah. yeah. If they were sharp, they wouldn't stay that way for long. Yeah. No, they don't. Now, I I watched a I I watched a really cool series of of sort of documentaries about people who pick stones up all over the world. They did like a one on Iceland and and oh, one yeah. in uh, Spain, and then they did one on Scotland. And, uh, you know, there are these famous stones that are, like, in churchyards or, you know, all over the country that have – they usually put, like, these ring handles in them, and then you just kind of straddle them about, and see if you can pick them up. That's that's the Denny stones. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Is that ever part of the games? Um, Kind of. The <laughs> Denny stones obviously don't travel much. <laughs> no, sure. I'm sure they don't. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of crossover between that and, and us. There's a guy in, in Utah named Ryan St- Stewart, who's our only pro out of Utah, and he's since retired from the throwing, but he's went really big into the stone lifting. And there's actually a documentary coming out soon about the ones he's doing here, just here in Utah. Um, so that is, there's a lot of crossover there. Um, often at games, there'll be an extra event that's just a crowd pleaser. That's just for the fun of it. And yeah. so you have the nine typical ones, but sometimes... Let's There's an extra lift one. this stone over here or lift yeah. these stones with handles and walk with them yeah. or, you know, lift this stone up to your shoulder and we'll see how long you can hold it. I think uh, we people who have been doing this sport for so many years, I think they're just trying to find another way to challenge us, another way to make it exciting, something new. You know, sometimes there's, you know, a cash prize attached to it, that type of thing. So that adds um, some variety for the yeah, for the competitors definitely. more than the yeah. crowd, probably. Yeah. But, but the natural stone lifting, as John said, is, is definitely a big crossover for these heavy athletics crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess it all dates back to, you know, stones who that have been in England and Scotland. And um, like John said, um, Ryan Stewart has created a whole facebook group and is that the utah stones of strength is that what yes. they're called yes. yeah, yeah i'm 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 aspir- i've got a lot of aspirations i'm in that group too though <laughs> i can't pick anything up but awesome. i like look, i like seeing another, other people do it he'd be another fantastic one to interview yeah. Um, oh, yeah if you can get a hold of him but uh yeah he's created a whole uh, utah stones all over and you can find you can get the different gps's for these different stones and uh, he's, you know, named them and has a story behind them. Oh, yeah. um, and they relate back to ancient stones. And you can go around and lift these stones and, and take video of yourself doing it and post it to this Facebook group. And, yeah, it's, it's really cool. That's for, cool. For example, though, the, probably the best example of that in Utah is at Payson. There are the Payson stones that are similar to the Denny Stones. The Denny Stones are in Scotland, and they're 700-plus pounds um, in between two boulders. That, yeah, you straddle them, and you pick them up mm. holding onto rings. Uh, I want to do that someday. Um, the Payson Stones are a little bit over 500 pounds. Again, two boulders. The boulders are different weights, different heights. The rings are slightly different in the Denny Stones, pretty similar in the Payson Stones, though. But the end of the Payson Games, well, the end of the strongman competition at Payson Games and then at the Highland Games, um, the challenge with the Payson Stones is to pick them up and carry them as far as you can. Ah, yeah. And they are awful. Uh, (laughs) They're just awful. Do you know off the top of your head how far you've made it with them? Yes, because it's a a sore point. (laughs) It's a small number, Um, so it's easy to remember. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the record, long-standing record, is... A little bit over 76 feet, mm. and the little bit over is the hard part. The first time I ever picked them up, um, I made it 72 feet. In oh, change. you were right there. You were right I was there, right man. there before I had my hand half ripped off, mm. and I had to drop them. 
And then the next time I had a chance to do it, I remembered that, and that's the problem as I went with my memory, I remembered that the record was 76. And so I set up cones at 76 feet. Yeah. And carried them 76 feet and like two inches. And turns out the record was like 76 feet, nine inches. Oh, no. And so I missed it by that far the last time I tried them. And they're awful. I mean, yeah. it, you want to drop them after. You can't do it again. After... It's not like, oh, well, no. just let me try again. Yeah, give it another no, try. It's like a one and done. Maybe I'll do it again in a year. Yeah, you got to go But I could have made it another that. seven inches if I thought that. But, yeah, that's, those are brutal. So if yeah. you have a chance to watch people try that, most people, you want to drop it after two feet. And so it's yeah. just. You're banging into your oh. shins as you're walking and each one they're spinning and the yeah. left one spins like almost continually is that so by design to... or is it uh, no <laughs> if i went too far it would literally like spin the handle out of the stone yeah so no it's just they're just awful uh, i love them <laughs> but they're awful they're painful <laughs> so stuff like that does happen it's just as an extra event at the end of the day uh and yeah a whole bunch of things like that happen it's it's a fun sport yeah now, what about kilts? Um, do you guys, is there a, a, do you guys get a special, you know, are you, are you wearing like a, uh, I don't know what kind of material it'd be made of, but is there some sort of special sporting kilt that would be different than like a kilt that a piper would wear? It's funny that you said sporting kilts because that's exactly what it's called. It's mm. called sport kilts. Yeah. Um, and that's usually where everyone purchases theirs. Because obviously when you're a piper, you're getting, you know, lots of yardage, lots of pleats, big heavy material, quality. Uh, you don't necessarily want to throw in that. Yeah, sweat, I, I mean, throw, I, I look at that on. and I think I don't want my kilt anywhere near an athlete. You know? <laughs> exactly. Imagine the sweat, the chalk from throwing, yeah, the strong. adhesives, Pans, rocks yeah. getting it all scraping it on the cabers. <laughs> Sometimes so, people will catch them with the sheaf forks and rip their kilt all the way off on the way they're up. Because they Velcro. Because <laughs> they're velcro oh, on, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, so the best way is you just look up the original sportkilt.com and um, you can find the kilts on there. They just do it by, you know, small, medium, large, extra large. Um, they're definitely adjustable because they are Velcro. And the nice thing is, is... Um, they're made to just be athletic be in the kilt, yeah. be active in those kilts. And it sounds like so. good advice, wear shorts underneath your kilt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We, we get the question all the time, what do you wear under those? Spandex. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but people are just trying to tease us. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Well, um, what other, did we miss any of the nine standard events? You're missing oh, oh, the yeah. weight throw, which what's, is. What's that one like? Uh, that's the man maker. Uh, <laughs> uh, for men, the, the weight throw is the one that, I mean, you'll be embarrassed by other things. The weight throw will humble you. Mm. Um, for men, uh, it's a 56 pound weight. You hold it in one hand, you spin around twice and throw it as far as you can, hoping that that doesn't throw you farther than you throw it. Oh yeah. <laughs> because at 56 pounds, it does interesting things. Mm. So that's the heavy the light is half that weight at 28 pounds. Mm -hmm. For women, the heavy is 28 and their light is 14. Mm -hmm. But that one, for example, to be like pro level in heavyweight for distance is about 40 feet, which is ridiculously short. Our trailer is longer than that. Yeah. That so we're living in right now. a lot of weight. Um, and I've never hit 40 feet mm -hmm. with it. It's, it's mocking me. But that one's really, really heavy. You'd actually tape up your hand to try and keep your calluses from ripping off when you throw that one. The first time I ever threw that, I remember that first day, that first Saturday. Uh, I threw that and ended up bottom back looking at Judge. Mm -hmm. I, I think I fouled that one. I think he did. It's a lot of fun. It's typically, if you win the heavyweight for distance, you have a good shot at winning the competition overall. I'm not sure why that is. It's probably psychological. Mm. But it's the one where, you know, if you've got the best form, you've got the most strength, you can win the heavyweight for distance, it's a big feather in your cap. But I think the big part of that has to do with it's probably the most intricate in footwork. Uh, you're spinning two times around before you actually release the weight for distance. And as long as you can stay low and counterbalance um then you can get a good throw but you can imagine uh how many people 
fall on their butts and, you know, roll an ankle or get out of the trig. You don't stay in like the box that you're supposed to stay in. So it's definitely probably the most out of control um, (laughs) and can go the most wrong. It's the most unforgiving. Most Mm -hmm. other things you can, you can mess up a little bit and be okay. Heavyweight, you're just toast. Mm. And I've fallen down more times with that. I've, yeah, it's, <laughs> you just have to laugh at some of them, but that's the, that's the hardest one. Gotcha. I would say by physically taxing, I'd rather throw caber than throw heavyweight for distance. Really interesting. I would have thought caber would be the, you know, the heart, the, the most difficult of them all. No, not, not caber my experience. Caber takes more finesse. <laughs> caber takes a lot of finesse, but like heavyweight, you have to have finesse, but you also have to be. It's just so heavy. Yeah, you got to have strength and finesse all at the same time. Huh? 56 pounds in one hand, it's mm. just like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. I'd rather throw it than walk with it. Yeah. So I know that, like, with piping, we see that, um, like, if, if, a, if a new person's coming to piping for the first time, if they, you know, and I don't want this to seem like a bar for entry. It sounds to me like anybody who is interested should try this, whether they've done other sports before or not. But I am curious because with piping, I see that like people who have played clarinet, for example, before usually take to piping very quickly and easily. Are there, is it track and field or is like there, are there any other sports that kind of seem to feed very naturally into Highland games or the uh, heavy athletics? I mean, Um, I would say definitely um, if you ask throwers who are successful in Highland games, most of them have a track and field in their background yeah um other than that i mean there's not i mean it's not like oh i was a volleyball player and now i'm great at highland games like right right. it doesn't really correlate so i think the only parallel that you can draw is throwing in track and field um other than that i mean if you're athletic it's definitely going to help um if you are a football player and have been in the weight room before that's definitely going to help um but throwing in track and field is is the closest parallel makes sense if you haven't if you haven't done track and field then what you end up with are uh strong men and power lifters big you know the stronger people who are still athletic mm-hmm. and the really good ones are the ones who can be explosive and still really strong so gotcha. or just people who love wearing a kilt and love scotland <laughs> and want to be out on the field doing something yeah. and have no athletic background or no weightlifting experience and just want something to do on a Saturday. We get those too. Yeah. So, so I'm curious to, to what degree, um, does your yell, uh, affect the, your distance? <laughs> Cause it seems to me that there must be a correlation there just from the distance and all the yelling that I hear. You would, you would think so after hearing some people yell, but in, in hammer it's required. <laughs> it's required. Huh? required. <laughs> Can't have a good throw on hammer without a yell. Yeah. <laughs> In weights, it's more like a, oh, no. <laughs> it's more an oh, no yell. <laughs> yeah, but hammer, you can yell pretty good. And in sheaf, it's probably like a, phew, I didn't stab myself in right, the Right, a relief. <laughs> so yeah. it, 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 it has seemed to me that, like, I don't think I'm the only piper or drummer who's been interested in trying Highland Games. But what I thought was a limiting factor before was basically that on the day of a Scottish festival where there are bagpipe band competitions happening, I wouldn't have time to go back and forth, especially if I was changing my kilt and stuff. I hadn't realized that there are other games happening for heavy athletics aside from, you know, the few a year that that there's a pipe band competing at. Oh, definitely. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. There would be anywhere from, I would say, the, the big events, there's probably two or three where there would be pipe bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, there's at least five to six or seven other small backyard games that we don't have um, pipers or a big festival going on. So if pipers and drummers want to do this, could totally do it. Just just mm-hmm. uh, just come to the backyard games. Yep. So obviously, you're in, if you're in Utah, you're going to look up utahheavyathletics.com and you can look up uh, the schedule and you'll see right on there um, where the events are happening. Mm. And at any given time, any given weekend in the United States, there's several games going in the spring and summer. So it also depends on where you are because, yeah, you could go to two or three every weekend if you wanted to. Mm. Uh, It just depends on where you are in the the nation at the time. Yeah. So it seems to me that like um, sort of a one bar for entry for at least 
a perceived bar for entry for people is how do you even start? Who do you talk to? So people ought to just Google it, hop on Facebook, look around, or go to an event and maybe just walk up to any athlete and be like, I want to try this. The best way is go on Facebook to Utah Heavy Athletics, you know, join up, you know, join up in that group and then find a games that has a novice class and show up. Yeah. Because waiting and coming to talk to us, we're going to tell you, you should be throwing this. Come on out and take a look. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, better just play games and come on out. If you're outside of Utah, um, you can either look on the website that we talked previously, the NazgaWeb.com uh, or .org or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but look that up, and they have a list of games that are going on. Mm. Um, or, yeah, if you see a Scottish Games going on, pull over, go and talk to an athlete. We're, we, we're always happy to talk to the crowd. It's not distracting or we're just waiting for our turn. Um, in fact, it's complimentary when people come and ask us questions and, oh, yeah. and how to how to get into it and how to do it and any questions, really. Um, but yeah, there is a Scottish Games going on somewhere close to you at some time of the year. You will mm-hmm. find an athletic event. And no need to feel intimidated. If you're interested, you ought nope. to no. try to hop in there. Exactly. Again, if you, if you find a jerk... <laughs> that's throwing Highland games. No, it's an exception. Yeah. Gotcha. And that their buddies are going to try to correct that particular problem because we're there for the fans. We are entertainment. We're there to compete, but we're also there for, and we love having people. That was the worst part about COVID is we lost most of our, our audience. Yeah. And yeah. so we're there to compete, but we're also there to have a good time and to yeah, you know, put on a good show with people. It's so much fun and hearing, their why and their scottish ancestry and you know why they're there and why they love scotland and we've we've heard it all yeah so yeah if you find a jerk it's an exception and you should just go on to the next person (laughs) that person was having a bad day for some weird reason Mm -hmm. yeah they uh they only managed to carry the pace and stone uh 76 feet and four inches or something like that right (laughs) probably (laughs) yeah even i would still be nice after that i bet you would yeah i don't doubt it Tired, but nice. <laughs> yeah, tired and trying to put some ice on your wrist, but but still nice. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so so, um, in in kind of wrapping up, do do either of you have any favorite event history of an event or a favorite story that you'd be interested in sharing? Hmm. What you got, Mama? Well, I I one thing I love about the pace and games. It's probably both of our favorites every year, um, but. One great thing about it is it's the Utah Caber Championship. So after all nine events are done, then what they do is they take the top caber throwers in each group and they put us all head to head. And they start with the smallest caber. And uh, if you can flip it, then you keep moving up to the next and the next and the next. And I just, I love that every year because I feel like it's, it's just, all right true grit right here let's all put everything down we're all tired we're all hot and sweaty but we've got one more thing to do and one year I was just so spent I was tired I was hot and um, I was going into this caber championship and you know I, I flipped the first few okay as some of the girls were dropping off and I kept going uh, caber after caber and at that point, I was having some of the men joining in and throwing the yeah. cabers as well. And I remember uh, first I tried this huge caber, and each caber has a different score depending on their weight, their length, their balance point. And uh, this was a, a 400 point caber, if I'm remembering it right. And um, I tried it the first time. You got two attempts on each one, and it just was not going over so I knew that I had one more try there was this huge crowd cheering me on they were all clapping in turn and I just started running as fast as I could and you've never seen a caber turn over more slowly like I would I it it hit its tip and it was just like just standing still for a minute yeah standing (laughs) straight up and I wanted to run up and push it over but darn that huge caber turned over and it was it was huge it was it was probably one of the bigger cabers that's ever been turned by a woman in utah and um it just the crowd was cheering and i it was just a great cherry on top of a great day 
and um, I, I've always loved cavers, and I just think it's a, a fun event to be running with a big log and try and flip it end over end. And... Yeah, it's such a wild, <laughs> it's such a wild competition it, to have It really up. is. And, and that's really impressive is. either way, but was this one of the years that you were competing six months pregnant? Um, it might have not been. It probably was impressive a year that I was way. an Still off impressive. year. Yeah, impressive <laughs> it's probably an way. off year. <laughs> Baby was probably six months old. <laughs> yeah, that's, there you go. That's how that one goes. Do you have a story? Um, my story isn't nearly as exciting as yours, <laughs> but it kind of illustrates what I like about Scottish games. Uh, there's games back in Minnesota uh, that I went to in 2017 where um, it was interesting because about halfway through the day, you've done most of the the distance events. And at that point, I'd only won one event so far. So I'd been like second or third or, you know, I was first in one event, which again was the heavyweight for distance. Uh, still didn't hit the stupid 40 feet mark, but I, you know, I'd won that one event. And there was a guy there that, a uh, good friend of mine, that was supposed to win the whole thing. He was really highly ranked. He was a really good thrower. And to be sarcastic, I was sitting there, kind of, we took a break for lunch, and I said, well, whoever's in first should go first on, I think it was the caber toss was coming up next. They were trying to decide who was going to go first. And said, well, let whoever's in first do it. And this guy turned to me and said, that's you. <laughs> I said, what? Because I hadn't even checked. I figured I was, you know, I'd been getting figured second and third. Him, right? So I was yeah. third, fourth, something like that. And I said, really? He said, yeah. And went over and checked the scores. And I was ahead of him by like two points. Mm. Because, and I went on to win that day. But the funny the funny part about it was I still only won the one event out of nine. Well, actually in that game, it was seven. The entire day. But I was more consistent than he was. He had a bad event, and I had only one that I even won the thing. But because I was more consistent through the day, yeah, I won, which yeah. was fun because it means you don't have to actually come out and beat everybody at each of their specialized like events. Yeah, uh, I couldn't beat him in hammers, for example. He's way too good at hammers. I wasn't going to come close. But I could be more consistent throughout the day and I end up winning that one and that was fun and john is being way too humble not telling the rest of the story <laughs> that was um the amateur world championship that he won in 2017 hey. all right john yes it was <laughs> awesome so so i mean but but like that honestly like as a person here for me personally who's who's like interested in trying this that that does lower the bar for entry a little bit for me because it's like well, I, I feel like I have to be an expert in nine sports in order to go and try this, you know, mm -hmm. but to suggest like, no, you, you can kind of hold your kind of hold your ground in all of them decently. You actually have a, a chance. Yep. And that's the thing is some days you do better in some events and worse in others. And some days you do awful in all of them, but it really just depends on who you're going against that day and how they're doing. And so with nine events, you really never know how it's going to turn out in the end. Um, but that's part of the fun. Mm. One main reason why I love Scottish games is I can prove to my kids that it's not all about their Saturday soccer games and their their activities, that mom and dad can make goals too and that we can um, work towards those goals and win, sometimes win and sometimes lose and walk away with nothing. And I love showing that women are strong too and that we can be successful and um, have a good time doing it. So if you want to find any of our, follow any of our other adventures, we are on Instagram as eight, like the number eight kilted travelers. Uh, we'll be getting all of our matching kilts soon. <laughs> so that will be fun. And it is the um, numerical number yes, eight kilted travelers. the number travelers. eight. Okay. Yeah, six kids and John and I make eight. So eight kilted travelers. Um, and we right, currently, like we said, we're traveling around the country and hopefully we'll be able to hit as many Scottish games as are open this year. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the goal to see um, what Scottish games we can find as we're traveling around and hopefully join in on. Um, we also have some um, some videos on YouTube. Um, our YouTube account is called Kilted Beauty and the Beast. Ah, <laughs> and you can look that up. And we actually have quite a few Highland Game videos on there. 
um, that you can go and check out. And we even have a video on how to um, join in the Highland Games. Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent. I'll probably, I will find that and put a direct link to it in the Perfect. show notes for sure. Great. Yes. And okay. <laughs> uh, when it comes to the Highland Games, it's really something that you have to come out and try at least once. Most of us, we tried it once, we got hooked, we're still doing it. But you don't have to be the biggest athlete in the world. You don't have to be the, you don't have to be Scottish. That's an important point to toss out there. You just have to love competing and want to come out and try something new and then just get into the community. We have people who don't even throw anymore. Uh, they've retired from throwing, it was too hard on them or they had an injury or a knee replacement or something like that, but they're still helping. They're still in that community that we make lifelong friends that are just a lot of fun. And it's something you should come out and try. If you've ever thought about it, the way to do that, go on Facebook, Utah Heavy Athletics, or go online, utahheavyathletics.com, and start talking to people and make a plan to come out and try games. You won't be sorry that you did. It'll be an awesome Saturday. If you don't do it forever, that's fine, but it'll be worth a shot.